In today's episode of Lore of the Rings, we compare Chapter 2 of The Hobbit to its on-screen portrayal and continue exploring how little yet significant changes push our Hobbit to the side and highlight the dwarves. Oh, and I even have a Rings of Power dig as well. Yeah, you didn't know we were going there, but we will, and back again. Let's wander. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Let's take a look at the map. We've been exploring J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. We've met Bilbo Baggins, who is now on an adventure with dwarves. They've encountered three trolls along the quest, but were saved by Gandalf the Wizard. This was also Bilbo's first opportunity to try his hand at burglary, and overpowering a villainous challenge. He failed spectacularly. Now we will be comparing the chapter to how the events were portrayed in Peter Jackson's movie The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. And if you remember from a few episodes back when we compared chapter 1 to its movie portrayal, I made the claim that the movie tells a different story. While Tolkien's book focuses on Bilbo the Hobbit, the movie is more concerned with Thorin and the dwarves, and we'll see that theme continue to play out as we compare Chapter 2 to its movie companion. For a reminder, I'm not going to critique every frame of the movie, and I value the difficulty that it is to adapt Tolkien to the screen, and I'll be using the extended edition for reference, so if I mention something you haven't seen, that may be why. The film closed Chapter 1 with the dwarves in Bilbo's sitting room singing the Misty Mountain song, sparks lifting to the sky as they remember the trauma of Smog's flaming attack on their homeland. Chapter 2 begins about 41 minutes into the movie, and ends about an hour and 15 minutes in as Bilbo draws his sword in the troll's cave. So that's about 35 minutes or so for this chapter to be displayed on screen. We open on a calm, peaceful morning, where Bilbo finds that the party of dwarves have gone, actually cleaning up in their wake. This is different from the book, where Bilbo has to spend hours cleaning up after the dwarves, and is just settling down to a second breakfast before Gandalf comes and finds him. Bilbo seems relieved that the dwarves are gone, but there's also a feeling of being left behind, sort of like Bilbo is mourning his decision to not join the party. Bilbo's reaction reminds me of this line in the chapter, quote, Bilbo was forced to believe the party of the night before had not been part of his bad dreams, as he had rather hoped, and yet in a way he could not help feeling just a trifle disappointed. The feeling surprised him. 
But as movie Bilbo sees the contract from the night before, we can surmise that the took side of him wins. He convinces himself to step outside his door. I love the sequence as Bilbo runs down the hill, especially the high shot looking down on the hill, and the fast, agitated Hobbit theme music. I think all of us need an experience like that, of being swept off on the road with reckless abandon. Bilbo catches the dwarves while they are on their ponies, rather than at the Green Dragon. But he does stop the whole party because he has forgotten a handkerchief, which Gandalf does not bring to him like in the chapter. Instead, Gandalf says, quote, Home is behind, the world is ahead. This echoes Pippin's song in Denethor's Hall in the Return of the King movie, and can be found in the Fellowship of the Ring book as a walking song that Bilbo wrote and taught to Frodo, and Frodo, Sam, and Pippin sing as they hike across the Shire. Here's the last verse of that song, quote, Home is behind, the world is ahead, and there are many paths to tread, through shadows to the edge of night, until the stars are all alight. Then world behind and home ahead, we'll wander back to home and bed. Mist and twilight, cloud and shade, away shall fade, away shall fade. Fire and lamp and meat and bread, and then to bed, and then to bed. I like the idea of Gandalf planting those words in Bilbo's head, who would later put them into a verse to share with Frodo. That feels right. Again, there's no mention of Bree as the party travels out into the Lone Lands. You'll notice that the world seems more lush and green versus how it's portrayed in the Fellowship movie. That's because Bilbo and the dwarves traveled in the springtime, May specifically, where Frodo was in the late fall. I think also the bright colors remind us that The Hobbit was originally a children's tale. Not so in the movie, as we have an addition to this portion of the chapter, Thorin's backstory with orcs. This backstory is not entirely made up, as they pulled from sources in the appendix to Lord of the Rings, and maybe a little from Tolkien's book called Unfinished Tales. However, there are some striking differences even in this edition. Yes, Azog did cut the head off Thorin's grandfather, and that was during a single mission rather than a battle. But there was a subsequent battle outside the gates of Moria, and the hero of that battle was not Thorin, but rather his cousin, Dane Ironfoot. Quote, right before the doors, Dane caught Azog, and there he slew him and hewed off his head. So, movie Thorin mistakenly believes that Azog is dead from his wounds at Thorin's hands. Yet, in the book, it's pretty clear that Azog is dead. I know of no precedent in Middle-earth for an orc to lose his head and still survive. Dane would later help Thorin in the Battle of Five Armies at the end of The Hobbit and become king under the mountain after Thorin falls. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. Dane would finally die in the War of the Ring, defending Dale from Sauron's northern army. So the film takes some liberties with the tale, making it Thorin's heroic moment. His grandfather is beheaded, his father lost, but Thorin rises to rally the troops, using the oak branch as a shield, hence the moniker Oakenshield. Now, as Balin shares Thorin's backstory, pulled from the dwarf and goblin moors, all the other dwarves stand and stare in awe at their dwarven prince, who again is the center of this cinema tale, again with our titular hobbit being somewhat on the outside. Film Thorin believes that the pale orc is dead. Gandalf seems not to agree, as he has a look on his face that suggests that he knows more than he is willing to reveal. And then we see orcs on wargs across the way, seemingly searching for the dwarves. This edition of Thorin's backstory and the hunting orcs has the benefit of adding to the dramatic tension of the film and layers on the urgency that the bad guys are hunting down the good guys, but again reinforces the idea 
that this story is not about a hobbit who does unexpected things, but rather the dwarf prince who seeks to avenge his family's deaths and reclaim his homeland. Well, not all adventures are riding ponies in May sunshine, as Bilbo laments in the book, and we return to the trail while rain drenches the company. This scene gives us the opportunity to explore some lore around the wizards, with three being named and the two blue wizards. Bilbo even gets a rare dig in on Gandalf, subtly suggesting that he is not a great wizard. We're introduced to Radagast the Brown, strangely enough, who doesn't even appear in the Hobbit book, nor, by the way, does he let birds roost in his hair. However, Radagast has the function in the film of reminding us of the wider, much more important conflict that is bubbling under the surface of Middle-earth. Yes, Thorin wants to reclaim his homeland, but a greater evil is at work. The necromancer has come to Mirkwood, and a sickness infects the forest. Quote, a dark and powerful magic, as Radagast says. We see sick and dying animals, trees with a nasty and sickly sap, and giant spiders attempting to burst into Radagast's hovel. Radagast pursues the spiders to the southwestern corner of the old forest, to an abandoned fortress called Dol Guldor, but what he finds there is not yet revealed. We have one more scene to compare, the confrontation with the trolls. We'll get to that right after this break. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. We return to the dwarves, who are making camp in the bright sunshine, rather than the cold rain, wherein the dwarves can't start a fire. If you listen carefully, you'll hear Thorin say, quote, Oin, Gloin, get a fire going. Oin and Gloin are called out in the book as the most talented at starting fires. We start to see some conflict between Thorin and Gandalf about going to Rivendell for help. Thorin, understandably, rejects the idea of seeking help from Elrond. Gandalf, though, decides he's going to take a break and rides on. This gives some explanation as to why he wasn't around to help the dwarves when they encounter the trolls. Rather than in the book, he's simply not there. But the dwarves have food and fire, and no ponies are lost in the river, so why should they seek out the light that they see in the distance? If you remember, it was lack of food and fire that forced the dwarves to creep towards the fire of the trolls. However, in the film, some of their ponies have gone missing. Feely and Keely encourage Bilbo to approach the strange light. Bilbo, in true hobbit fashion, refuses to leave warm stew behind. Eventually, the dwarf brothers take their food while pushing Bilbo forward and give a quick instruction about hooting like an owl. 
Instead of pinching a wallet, Bilbo decides to sneak a knife so that he can cut the ponies loose. But he's discovered. We get the fun line of burglar Robert and the idea that there's more for a pie. Bilbo demonstrates his smallness and agility as the trolls have trouble grabbing him. But we do miss a little of Bilbo's clever wordplay that confuses the trolls and a skill that Bilbo will later hone. Then the dwarves come out in force and a mighty battle ensues. In contrast to the dwarves coming out one by one, which is not actually a practical strategy, and all getting sacked. Bilbo achieves his goal of letting the ponies go, but he is the reason the dwarves put down their arms, so that his arms don't get ripped off. So far, Bilbo has been more trouble than he's worth to the dwarves. The trolls start to bicker about how to cook the dwarves, but instead of a mysterious troll-mimicking voice, Bilbo is the one who starts to confuse the trolls, realizing that he needs to stall until dawn for the sun to turn the trolls to stone. He even sees Gandalf sneaking among the stones. The parasite's excuse does lend some comic relief. It's not quite the same as Gandalf throwing his voice to trick the trolls until dawn. So this is Bilbo's first opportunity to show his true quality as a burglar. And while he totally fails in the books, he does think about stalling for time in the movie. Now this is interesting because we see Bilbo's character arc starting to shape. And in particular, the qualities of a hobbit versus a dwarf. Bilbo is clever and quick-witted under pressure while the dwarves are only argumentative. Save me from the stubbornness of dwarves, we might say. But Bilbo's cleverness in the movie with the trolls rather than Gandalf's wizard voice misses a rather subtle yet significant shift in Bilbo's character arc. In the film, Bilbo is already starting to add value to the company, even if it was just stalling for time. Whereas in the book, Bilbo does not find his courage or add value until after he claims the One Ring from Gollum. Somehow, being in the dark depths alone, facing his personal villain, and winning a powerful object, that is where Book Bilbo comes into his own. Not Film Bilbo, however. His main motivation is to be a contributing member of the Dwarf Quest, because again, this is a movie about dwarves, not a hobbit. After Dawn Breaks, Gandalf references a darker power ruling these northern lands. This darker power could be a reference to Sauron's domination of Eriador in the Second Age, or to Sauron's chief Nazgul, the Witch King of Angmar, who controlled most of the land in the Third Age. They find the Trolls' Cave nearby, but there is no door that needs a key that Bilbo luckily possesses. So almost all of the foreshadowing elements of this chapter, which we explored last episode, are lost in the film adaptation. In the cave, they find gold, and also magnificent swords, not of Trollmake, and Gandalf adds not of men, explaining that they came from Gondolin and were made by the High Elves of the First Age. Gondolin was a hidden city in the First Age of Middle-earth, and one of the last elven strongholds that held out against Morgoth, Sauron's master. For more on Gondolin, check out episodes 14, The Founding of Gondolin, and 29 and 30, The Fall of Gondolin Parts 1 and 2. One detail you might want to remember about Gondolin, Elrond's father, Eirindil, was born in Gondolin to the man Tuor and the elf maiden Idril. Gondolin fell before Elrond was born, but nevertheless, he is connected to that city through his family history. Gandalf also finds a blade for Bilbo, described in the book as, quote, a knife in a leather sheath. It would have made only a tiny pocket knife for a troll, but it was as good as a short sword for the hobbit. Not only does Gandalf hope that Bilbo will not have to use it, unlikely in the perilous realm, but he also provides some advice. Quote, True courage is about knowing not when to take a life, but when to spare one. 
Does Gandalf have some foreknowledge about what Bilbo will face in the dark of the mountains? Or is this simply sage counsel from a wise wizard? Now, I believe that this line is a movie-only line, but it feels like something Tolkien could have written. Not only is it concise and poetic in its delivery, but it's also counterintuitive to the advice that you'd think would come along with the sword. In this line, you feel the same meaning as what Faramir says here, quote, War must be, while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend, the city of the men of Numenor, and I would have her loved for her memory, her ancientry, her beauty, and her present wisdom. But since we're here, let's contrast Gandalf's advice with another bit of advice that was given to young, untested warriors in another time and place of the Lord of the Rings universe. In Amazon's Rings of Power Season 1, Episode 5, the Numenorean soldiers are training for a rescue mission of the Southlands. Elendil convinces Galadriel to provide some instruction, and here is what she says about swords. Quote, there are many ways to kill an orc. But for you, I will keep it strong and simple. Stab, twist, gut. What ensues is swordplay between the athletic and thousands of years old elf, Galadriel, and the barely older than teenage soldiers. Galadriel shows how awesome she is, and the Numenorians look hopeless. Let's contrast those quotes. I'll read each again. Film Gandalf. Quote, True courage is about knowing not when to take a life, but when to spare one. And TV show Galadriel. Quote, there are many ways to kill an orc, but for you I will keep it strong and simple. Stab, twist, gut. Clearly, Gandalf's advice shows greater wisdom, restraint, and strength, whereas Galadriel's is terse and somewhat crass. Now you could argue, Galadriel is actually in a training situation, where giving pragmatic, tactical instruction is far more helpful than poetic waxings about courage. But I think this was a missed opportunity for Rings of Power. Galadriel can still be a skilled swordsman and practical trainer, even if she first takes a moment to at least recognize the atrocities of war or the power of a weapon in the hands of a skilled warrior. Gandalf does this, saying he hopes that Bilbo never has to use the sword, and his counsel about courage. Galadriel, on the other hand, comes across as having no reverence for life, even the life of her enemies, or no acknowledgement that actually taking a life is a horrific choice that hopefully none of us ever have to make. This is one example of how Rings of Power missed the target of immersing us in the world of J.R.R. Tolkien. The feeling was off and makes us dislike TV show Galadriel all the more. Well, it's easy to criticize, but I hope I've been able to share some subtle and not-so-subtle ways in which the on-screen portrayal of Chapter 2, Rose to Mutton, changes the focus of Tolkien's story. Join me next time, where we'll move on to Chapter 3, a short rest, and continue our wandering of Tolkien's classic children's tale. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.